0: Peter knows how to start a letter. So if you ever need to be like encouraged in your faith in Christ, just read the first few verses of either one of his two letters and it will charge you up like this one will. First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The Lord bless the reading of his word. We are coming to uh, what some people regard as the end of the book of John today. Now, it turns out that after the book of John ends, there's another chapter. (laughs) So it doesn't actually end at the ending. But it is an ending, and it has a conclusion and a statement that says, that says, so, now. And that, so, now is the so now for the whole book of John. And it tells you exactly what to do with what you've learned in the book of John. Then there's another chapter, another story. Uh, Some people call it an epilogue. And uh, that's what we're going to deal with next time. I don't know if we'll deal with all of... Chapter 21 is the last chapter in the book of John. And that's where you have this story where the apostles go fishing again and, you know, all that. I don't know if we'll get, cover all of that in one Sunday. That could happen. But today, we've come to the story that's kind of the last story except for there's one more after that, and the conclusion. And the story we're coming to is in John chapter 20. And last Sunday we read about the appearance of Jesus in the room with the Apostles on Easter Sunday evening. So this was after Jesus' little encounter with Mary Magdalene, and if we read the other Gospels, some of the other women, And then the apostles are all in in the upper room, hiding, because they're worried about what might happen to them. They have no idea what to make of what has happened with Jesus. But they've heard this report from Mary Magdalene that she's seen him risen. And then Peter and John went to the grave sure enough, he's not there. But the grave clothes are. And John told us in the middle of the chapter then that that's when they really started to get this thing about the resurrection. Up until then, well, the death and resurrection of Messiah, in spite of the fact that it's revealed to us kind of clearly in the Old Testament was not something they had the mental gear to anticipate and so they did not and even when Jesus was crucified even after he said I will be they would say no you won't be (laughs) they'd want to fight with him about that their idea of Messiah just didn't include these things it should have but it didn't So when John and Peter come to the grave, John reports to us that's when they really started to grasp what was happening here. Then that evening, they're still worried. They're still afraid. They're in the room, and Jesus appears before them, and he's, here I am, and it's really him. It's got the wounds of the crucifixion on his body, and they rejoiced. Jesus declares peace to them. Jesus announces, if he doesn't impart in that very moment the giving of the Spirit, then in verse 24 we read this but Thomas one of the 12 called Didymus in some translations you'll see that translated it means the twin anyway we don't know if it's his name or a description of who he, what kind of person he was but in any case Thomas was not with them when Jesus came there's no explanation of given for that he's just not there So of course, the other disciples, when they see Thomas, they're saying, "We've seen the Lord. We've seen the Lord. We've seen." The Lord. I imagine they described the whole experience, including we saw the. He showed us his hands inside. It was really him. And Thomas says, "Unless I see his hands." the imprint of the nails. Put my finger into the place of the nails. Touch. Like, I want to know it's not some kind of ghost or apparition. Now, we sometimes, Thomas, of course, has a nickname. He's called Doubting Thomas. (laughs) Poor guy. I'm not sure he's any more doubting than any of us, but in any case, he's a little more uh, straightforward about things. We read about Thomas back when Jesus said, we're going to Jerusalem, and says, well, let's go too, so we can all die. That gives you a little glimpse into something of his personality, maybe. Now, You could say Thomas was sort of being sarcastic and uh, you know, he was arguing against the idea of going to Jerusalem but you might also say Thomas was expressing his commitment to Christ. If he's going, I'm going even though we're all going to die. This gives you some Glimpse maybe into what kind of person Thomas was. But now he says, unless I see it, put my hand, put my finger in the nail print, put my hand into his side. What's he saying? He's saying, I need to witness it myself. Now, Jesus didn't give the other guys a chance to say anything like this. He just showed up and there he was, showing them. So we don't know how they would have responded if they were in Thomas's position, maybe the same way. How would you respond? Maybe the same way, but apparently not the same way. We'll come back to that. So there they are, and Thomas has said this. He says, I will not believe. Unless I see it. Unless I touch it. Well, so there they are, eight days later. So, really, like the way they count days, this is the following Sunday. A week later. And there they are again, and now Thomas is there, the door still locked. They are still afraid of what might happen to them. And again, well, we just have a repeat of the same exact experience for the sake of Thomas. Now, I don't know about you, but this reminds me of what Jesus said when he said, I will not lose a single one. So just because Thomas isn't there doesn't mean Jesus is losing track of Thomas. But he says, he shows up again just the exact same way, and he says the exact same thing, peace be with you. And then he looks at Thomas. (laughs) I can imagine Thomas like, uh, uh, I don't know. uh, And he says to Thomas, go ahead. Go ahead. Here's the proof. Here it is. Go ahead. (laughs) <laughs> wow reach here with your finger and see my hands reach here with your hand and put it into my side you're looking for a proof Thomas here's the proof here I am and then he says don't Be unbelieving. (laughs) Don't be unbelieving, but believing. You see, in encountering Christ, there's a separation of souls into Unbelieving and believing. And Jesus is looking Thomas in the eye and he's saying, Don't go there, stay here. Well, <laughs> this John the Apostle writing the Gospel of John uses To conclude the book of John with the great Christological confession of Thomas, who says, My Lord. Now, these guys have been calling Jesus my Lord, you know, since almost the day they met him. My Lord. That means we're the disciples, He's the Master. But He doesn't stop there. He's not just saying, Oh, it really is you, my Lord. He says, My Lord and my God. that expression of man in the presence of Jesus identifying the divinity of Jesus this is it right here in the whole story they call him the Christ they call him Lord they call him the son of God and calling him the son of God is calling him God but this, Thomas is having here the experience that John was sort of stepping into when he stepped into the tomb. When he says, It was then that we noticed that the scriptures said this about death and resurrection. Thomas is like, Oh! Oh, oh, my Lord and my God. When he realized the reality of the resurrection, Thomas confesses the divinity of Jesus, the man risen from the dead. So, John says, So then. After telling us this story of of Thomas and Thomas concluding this story by saying, My Lord and my God, John says, So then. So then. He doesn't just go on to the next thing, yet there's a logical connection between the two things. So then he says, many other signs, Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Jesus did a lot of things, a lot of signs, in other words, miraculous things. He did tons of stuff, Most of it I have not recorded for you in this book, but these are written for a reason. I'm sorry, I left out something. When Thomas says, my Lord and my God, Jesus says, he responds to that, you You believe because you've seen me. Sometimes when they translate that, they make it a question. Do you believe because you've seen me? I think it's a statement. You believe because you've seen me. And by the way, in the ancient Greek text, there aren't any, there's no punctuation, so there's no question mark, so there's no, we have to decide that from the context of the, Text. Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. Blessed are the non-seeing believers. It's a literal translation. It's these two words. Well, okay, it's a four-word sentence. Blessed are non-seeing believers. who are the readers of the book of John including you and me the non-seeing believers and the word blessed here could, sometimes it gets translated happy it's like in the word in the, all the blessings in the sermon on the mount blessed are the poor in spirit blessed are blessed are all those that's the same word blessed it means to be to, to be satisfied in the work of God on your behalf. Blessed. Happy," sometimes it's translated, which to me seems like a really kind of superficial translation of this word, but in any case, happy because things are right with you. And so the non seeing believers, Jesus declares here, are satisfied because God has made it right with them. Then John says, So then, Jesus did a lot of things, most of which are not written in this book, but these have been written. These have been written. Now you might ask, how do the non-seeing believers come to believe without seeing? The answer to that question is, these have been written. It's in the written that we come to see Christ. It's in the book of John that we come to see Christ. These things have been written. Now, I would also say to you, by the way, that itself will not be sufficient. There are plenty of people who have read what is written and not believed, so there's more to it than just that. But if you ask the question, how does anyone see Jesus in This period of Jesus' physical absence from the world, the answer is things have been written. The testimony of those who saw is given. So we, the unseeing believers, believe on the basis of what was written by the seeing believers. And John, of course, makes a big deal out out of what kind of, that he's a witness of these things, that he saw them himself. Peter does the same thing in his writings. Paul even does the same things. He says, I saw him. Face to face, in person, Paul saw him, even though after, I mean, special case in that case. Which Paul says puts him last among the apostles. Which is interesting. So these things are written. We believe on the basis of what others saw. And then he says these things have been written so that you may believe. That you may believe. That you may believe. Who is you? that may believe the people for whom John wrote this gospel, including us. So we have a great statement of the purpose of the whole book of John, to lead people to trust, to believe, That's why, as we've studied through the book of John, we keep coming back to that because it's present. It's, in, it's woven through the whole thing. It keeps on saying it. These things are written. What's written? Chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. The, at the end of chapter 1, John the Baptist identifies Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Nathaniel, Nathanael, the day he meets Jesus, and Jesus says, I saw you sitting under the fig tree. Nathanael declares him to be the son of God, the king of Israel. Jesus says something similar to what he said to Thomas. You believe because I say I saw you under the fig tree? I'll give you bigger reasons than that. Just like he said to Thomas, you believe because you've seen me? In in chapter 2, we see Jesus cleansing the temple. We see Jesus uh, changing water into wine. This picture of of water, this cleansing agent. And then the story of the cleansing of the temple. And Jesus says on that occasion, destroy this temple. In three days, I'll I'll raise it again. And John says to us, he was talking about his body. When did John figure that out? Not then. He even tells you right there in the text. I didn't know what he was talking about then, but now I do. These are written. He has this conversation in chapter four with the woman at the well. If you knew who you were talking to, you'd ask me. I'd give you living water. What's living water? The Holy Spirit. We know that because in chapter seven, Jesus identifies, living water, or John does, as the Holy Spirit, which he will give. He heals the official's son without even seeing him. The official comes, he says, my son is sick. Uh, Jesus says, well, go on home, he'll be okay. And he is. We see the man at the pool. Again, we're on this water thing, and the son of God, the son of man, the sent one, heals the man by the pool. He says, get up and walk. Oh no, it's the Sabbath. This is what first gets Jesus in the line of fire. Then in chapter 6, the feeding of the 5,000. Remember, we're picking stuff out here. We're picking us stuff out. And then, after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus walks on water. A sign just for the disciples nobody else sees that just like not many people saw this sign of the changing of water to wine and then in chapter 6 Jesus starts talking about being the bread of life after feeding the 5,000 see how John's illustrating the who Jesus is by what Jesus has done He says he's the true manna. He says, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, and that throws people, of course. They don't realize he means that in that uh, symbolic spiritual way. What's he talking about? Chapter 7, the issue is, where is he from? And the question is, are you the Christ? In chapter 8, he's the light of the world, and he has this argument about who the children of Abraham was, and he says, before Abraham was, I am, oh man, that really got them upset, because that's, I am God. That is what Thomas finally notices when he says, my Lord and my God. In chapter 9, he heals the man born blind, and then after that we have a long discussion about the light of the world. And the people who think they see are the real blind people. In chapter 10, he presents himself as the door of the sheep. It's funny because John mentioned in the story about the healing of the man by the pool in What chapter was that? Chapter 5? He mentions that the pool is next to the sheep gate. You think that's an accident? Anyway, then he says, I am the sheep gate. I'm the way in and out for the true sheep. And he says, right there in chapter 10, the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice and they follow. What happened when Thomas saw the risen Jesus? There was no doubt. He followed. In chapter 11 he raises Lazarus and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. In chapter 12 we see Jesus proclaimed to be the anointed Messiah, the Christ. Hosanna! Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This Follows Mary, uh, washing Jesus' feet with the crazy expensive perfume, and Jesus announcing that she's anointing him for burial. You know that the word Christ, Messiah, means literally anointed one, and it's what happened when Samuel poured the oil on David and anointed him king of Israel. And then the very next thing in the story is the people of Israel shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed who is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the son of David. Of course, Jesus wasn't the Christ they expected, so they changed their minds. That's when Jesus starts announcing his death in the book of John. And then in chapter 13, we come to the whole Upper Room Discourse, which I'm not going to go through again because we just finished that part. These are written that you may believe. That you may believe, that you may believe something particular, he says, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So it's about correctly identifying Jesus. Jesus is the one sent by God, anointed king, you have all the I am statements of the book of John, some of which we've just reviewed. Do you correctly identify Jesus? Do you believe that he is the Christ, the son of God? You could say this these seven other ways. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheepfold. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. In chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And then in chapter 15, I am the true vine. Without me, you can do nothing. You're not alive if you don't abide in the vine. And so he says here, (laughs) these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Oh, there's one more I am statement. There's the famous seven, and then there's the one before Abraham was. I am. son of god the eternal one made flesh dwelling among us giving his life a sacrifice for sin and now standing risen before us and john says there's a reason i wrote all this down for the sake of your believing Well, that's not all. He says that believing you may have life in his name. That you may trust him and trusting him have life in his name. How is it that you have life? And I don't mean the sort of life everyone has, but I mean the real life that lasts and that is actual life which means life in fellowship with the living God the source of life how is it that you are alive in that way you trusted in him and trusting in him you have life he's been saying this all through the whole book of John if you hear my words you could translate that if you hear the word of me and believe in him who sent me, whoever hears my words and believes in him who sent me has eternal life, and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life." As we saw last week in chapter three, he says, I I didn't come into the world to condemn anyone to judge anyone, but to save. The reason he's not here to judge is because everyone's already been judged. He says, if you don't believe, you're condemned already. Dead. Those who have the Son have life, John says in 1 John, I think, chapter five. Those who have the Son have life. Those who do not have the Son do not have life so he says i've written down the story my account of the story which is so different from the other three but my account of the story i've selected these things to write for you these signs and you could argue that everything jesus ever does in the book of john is some kind of sign because it is always he says always every time all the time The simple obedience of the Father's command at all, he's only doing God's business. He never does anything else. And so everything he does is a demonstration of the glory of God on the earth. And John says, I've told you the ones I've told you because I picked the ones that I thought would help you the best to trust him and in trusting him, be alive and not dead. Trusting Him, have life in His name. If you don't have life in His name, you are dead. So I would say what Jesus said to Thomas is what the whole book of John says to everyone, us included. Jesus says to Thomas, don't be unbelieving. Be believing. Now, this, I think, is mostly about people coming to where Thomas came and going, oh. Coming to where the apostles came and saying, oh, I believe that, you know, that first decision to be believing and not unbelieving. But here's the thing. You, Maya, you've been a Christian maybe for a few days. Are you done? How do you walk in the Christian faith? Believing in him, and by believing, having his life. This is always the foundation and always the ground from which we operate. This is why when Paul describes the right response to the gospel in Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, according to the gospel you've now heard, because I've so well elaborated it, (laughs) according to the gospel, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Here's a way you could say that. Believe. Trust yourself to him. When he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, That's all that means. Trust yourself to Him. Put yourself in His hands. That is the same as believe that you may have life in His name. That's all. Now, after that, He says, and don't be conformed to this world. That's a way of saying don't be unbelieving, don't lapse back into unbelief, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you are always correctly identifying who Jesus is and what he has done and your place in his economy, his kingdom, his association, his fellowship, his life. Be transformed by that. If you are seeking a transformed life, Christian, what do you do? Now, there's lots of things people do. We do all these spiritual disciplines and all this stuff. We read our Bibles, we pray, we meditate, we go to church, we have our quiet time, blah, blah, blah. We do all these things. And if you do not encounter Christ and increase in faith, all of those things are a grand waste of your effort. This is not magic, like, okay, I read my Bible, so God's gonna bless me, and i you know. No. When you see Christ, and you put your faith in Christ, you are transformed. That's why reading your Bible works. When you pray, if you're not, if you're just uttering, if you're just giving God you know his daily to-do list for you, uh, okay, uh, he's happy to be having the conversation. But that's what counts—that you're w- living in some kind of fellowship with the living God—is what transforms you, not whether or not he gives you the car you want, the wife you want, the school you want, the job you want, the money you want, the blah, blah 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 blah. None of that matters. But do you have fellowship with the living God in Christ by the Spirit dwelling in you matters? That's what transforms you, that you may believe, and believing have life in his name. So I say to you, Christian, I know you believe. You believe. (laughs) Thomas believed, the apostles believed, You believed. You didn't have to see, you didn't have to stand there in front of, I'm sorry, I have to rephrase that. You didn't get to stand there in front of Jesus and have him say, Here I am. You didn't get to do that, but you saw him and you believe. I don't need that back, thanks. (laughs) You believe. So I say to you, Christian, be believing not unbelieving. Don't be unbelieving. You know, we all have that little tendency, right? Forget about all this and get on with life. You can't get on with life, actually, without this, without believing. Be believing, be believing. Father, thank you for the Gospel of John. For the love of Christ that you gave your only son. You so loved the world that you gave your only son. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Lord, I pray that this little community of believers would be just that people who walk trusting in the goodness of God in Christ, the fellowship of the Spirit, and come to exhibit, uh, exude the love of God, the gospel, the word of God, the message of Christ, so that other people may believe and have life in his name.